Hello, my name's Justin the Clue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to The Important Cinema Club. And today we're going to talk about the most important actor of all time. Oh man. Marlon Brando. Are these big shoes for us to fill to talk about an actor who has been dissected and discussed over decades? Well, I mean, we're not filling his shoes. I mean, we're just we're just talking. I mean, uh, I, I guess it might be hard to say something new about Marlon Brando. So what I'd like to do is lead off of the discussion of Michael Jackson's music video, You Rock My World from 2001. Have you seen it? No. Uh, after you mentioned the last podcast, I went and looked at it. I watched a six minute version. Oh, which he- Marlon Brando appears in only one shot. Okay, listen, you've got to watch the extended version because the extended version 13 minutes long begins with michael jackson and chris tucker are at a diner in chinatown and it's like 1940s film noir style a couple of sexy women walk past the diner and they're looking at each other like oh man she's so oh she's so hot oh man do you think she looked at me chris oh i think she did and it's it's really they got fedoras on i'm had, glad we can we can utilize your polished chris tucker impersonation <laughs> that i'm sure wait what if chris tucker and jackie chan were talking about um this music video right now i'm not gonna do that because i don't want to do a chinese man's voice <laughs> but what's so great about the you rock my world video is because we all know michael jackson he loves having sex with women and this is you know it's his nectar yeah. uh and this movie showcases it. anyway they go to uh the gangsters hideout where michael madsen is you know the sinister gangster they have a dance off for these ladies affections i don't know for some i watched this video again today but i've totally forgotten why but the place lights on fire from upstairs who comes down the godfather himself marlon brando who at this point was very sick wasn't he i think he was on oxygen presumably i mean he he's definitely a a large man Mm -hmm. so he's kind of you know i don't want to fat shame because that's wrong but he definitely is large. So he kind of slowly moves his way down the stairs. And then he looks at Michael Jackson. And he puts his fingers like a gun and he goes, bing, bang. And then he walks off. And I think that may have actually been his last performance. Uh, actually, I think the last credited thing that he has is he did one line in the Godfather video game. Oh, that's right. And uh, he actually, I remember reading at the time that he put cotton in his cheeks just like he used to. <laughs> to do that one line? Yeah. Did did you know that he and uh, Michael Jackson, though, were close friends towards the end of his life? And he would actually go to Neverland Ranch and they would like set up a table for him. He would eat like whole chickens there. And I also heard that he and Michael Jackson would get in a little golf cart that Michael Jackson tricked out to be able to hold Marlon Brando's oxygen tank. And they would just drive around looking at trees, which Brando supposedly named every one of them. Oh, that's sweet. I I mean, it, it touches me that he and Michael Jackson and Elizabeth Taylor and Liza Minnelli apparently had this close French I would like to be a fly on the wall oh my god like where is the biopic about like their final days well actually there is one coming out did you hear about uh well supposedly there's this urban legend that this is getting off topic from Brando but there's this urban legend that Michael Jackson and Elizabeth Taylor and maybe Liza like drove out of New York City on 9-11 and like did this road trip together what? I to, never heard that. Yeah, to get out of the city. Anyway, it was subject to some controversy because they got Ray Fiennes to play Michael Jackson. Right, I read about a that. a white man. Yes. Okay, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando. <laughs> what do you want to know? On the Overrated. <laughs> Overrated? Well, I mean, listen, he's a great actor. I think we've both looked at his IMDb page. And been like, what? I, I thought there, he made a lot more movies. There are, some, there are some dodgy titles on there, for sure. Now, when you think of Brando, you think of On the Waterfront, A Streetcar Named Desire. The Godfather. Um, Last Tango in Paris. Yes. 
And, and Superman, I want to say. <laughs> Apocalypse Now? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'm sure there's films... You Rock people... My World with Michael Jackson? <laughs> I'm sure there's people out there who's like, oh, but he gave a really good performance in this movie or that movie. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the movies that... We've are, seen. We, and are popular that, you know, old Gramps will talk about or something like that. Yeah. Which makes me wonder, like, when did he reach the level of popular... I mean, he was also in Guys and Dolls. Yeah, you know, Mutiny and the Bounty. Yeah, uh, and guys... And even those on, aren't necessarily the movies we would associate with him at his best. Mm-hmm. And even, like, one like uh, The Wild One, mm-hmm. which was a huge hit at, at, at the time. People don't really talk about... We've all seen the picture of him in the leather jacket. I don't think anybody actually watches that movie anymore. Another one like that is Viva Zapata, mm-hmm. the movie made with Elia. Is it Elia or Elia? I don't know. Let's go with a lot. Let's call. Let's go with Kazan. Kazan. The movie he made with Kazan. That commie hating bastard himself. <laughs> yeah, about the uh, Mexican revolutionary. Uh, I think that's a movie that I haven't seen. It probably aged poorly. <laughs> yeah, I think he's in brownface in the movie, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and he's got a funny like uh, Speedy Gonzalez mustache that they've put on him. So for this podcast, me and Will set out and we watched two movies. We listen. We haven't come to bury Marlon Brando. No, we've come to praise him. But we watched One-Eyed Jacks, and we watched Last Tango in Paris. Now, I hadn't seen either of these films. Really? No. So, And I picked One-Eyed Jacks because uh, it's the only film that Brando directed. There's a big, you know, controversy about how it came about. Stanley Kubrick was supposed to direct it at one point. Um, Sam Peckinpah uh, was supposed to co-write it and got fired from it. And Brando's original cut was five hours long, which is... Unimaginable. The way, I was skimming Brando's autobiography last night. Uh, the way he uh, describes One-Eyed Jacks, uh, he describes having... For people who don't know, it's a Western. Yes. And it's it's lengthy. It's two and a half hours long. What, what's it about? It's about uh, Brando plays a bank robber who's best friends with Carl Malden. And in the first 30 minutes, they go, rob a bank and they go on an adventure and they get kind of trapped by, I guess, the law. Mm-hmm. And Carl Malden Malden <laughs> betrays Brando in a really good scene. I would say the strongest part of the movie is those first thirty minutes. Yeah, where Brando agree. actually looks like he's having fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that, Brando swears revenge, and it takes a really long time. And he also falls in love with a very uncharismatic uh, female <laughs> lead. And that's basically the movie. It's and of course, Carl Malden thinks he's uh, you know, stooping his wife. Yeah, uh, all this kind of stuff. And it's actually a really simple movie that takes a long time to get told. It definitely feels like the kind of movie that uh, was a precursor to Sergio Leone's sorts of movies. Yeah, and uh, the spaghetti westerns and stuff like that. Uh, and it's, you know, it's funny that this movie doesn't have a larger cult following or following of critical apologists like something like Heaven's Gate does. Because oh, it's it does, a, it does. Does it? I mean, yeah. it, I don't hear many people talk about it much. It's, it's those sorts of revisionist westerns or end of the west western tend to get a lot of uh, critical reappraisal over the years. Uh, I feel like this one is just a little boring. <laughs> it is a little boring. And it's, it's funny that Stanley Kubrick was going to direct it because doing a little bit of research on it, it's very immaculate in the way that it's made. There's actually shots of Brando standing on the beach that are green screen shots. Mm-hmm. And you don't even notice because... For one, you don't expect them to be green screen shots. Mm-hmm. And for two, you're like, why are they green screen shots? <laughs> but it's that kind of vision that he had. And it was a huge like mess of a production with Brando directing. Okay, so as I said, I was uh, skimming its autobiography. He kind of, in his autobiography and in every interview he gave, he sort of detached himself from this movie where he was kind of like, yeah, Kubrick dropped out and I offered it I offered it to Kazan and Sidney Lamont and some other people. And I just sort of took it on because nobody else would. Um, and I didn't know what I was doing and that's it. He, it doesn't, the way he describes it, it doesn't sound like it was very personal. 
Mm-hmm. He and the cut got taken away from him and trimmed down to two and a half hours. So his original cut was over five hours long. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, the studio is being very generous by leaving it at two and a half hours. I, I could have cut another hour out of this thing. <laughs> very easily. Uh, I know that he thinks that they kind of neutered what he was doing, that it, that it didn't have the moral ambiguity or the character shading or whatever. Which is nonsense with this kind of movie. I mean, Brando, it's really interesting because it can feel like a transition picture where when you look at Streetcar Named Desire or um, On the Waterfront, Brando is almost like a raw nerve in those films, Mm -hmm. in the way that he acts, in the way that he can suddenly explode. And he's kind of like that in the first 30 minutes, where he's having fun, and he's robbing banks. He's, like, seducing uh, women. There's a really funny joke where it's a build-up to him wanting to sleep with a uh, woman, and then at the last minute he pulls out. Mm. Uh, Not literally. And then when the movie (laughs) jumps five years, uh, suddenly it's the, you know, mumbles Brando. Mind you, Brando didn't pull out very often in real life, because according to Wikipedia, he had 17 kids. Uh, And supposedly he had even more illegitimate children that we don't know about. Um, Maybe maybe we could be illegitimate (laughs) children of Marlon Brando. Yeah, What an honor that would be. So what do you think of when you think of a Marlon Brando performance, Will? Oh, I think, well, listen, let's maybe go back a little bit and describe who this Marlon Brando fellow is, in case you haven't heard of him. The year was 2012, I want to say. I went to a movie theater to see A Streetcar Named Desire. I'd never seen it, but I had seen that Simpsons episode. (laughs) As we had all. As as we had all. So first of all, A, I was shocked that, turns out Streetcar Named Desire has a sad ending. Mm -hmm. Spoiler... That you can always depend on the kindness of strangers. <laughs> There's not but, a big musical number at the so end. So the spoiler is that that's because Blanche Dubois was a prostitute and she depended on the kindness of strangers. <laughs> the Simpsons led me to believe that it had a happy ending. I have to say that <laughs> um, my screening of A Streetcar Named Desire is one of the most miserable experiences I've ever had in my life. Oh, really? A girl came over and she we said, oh, let's watch movies. Let's pick movies. And she picked A Streetcar Named Desire. And we sat there and watched it, and she just kind of talked throughout it. And I don't know what the circumstances was, but I wasn't able to talk. Like, she shut me down right away. She just waxed rhapsodically about Brando's (laughs) performance for, like, the length of A Streetcar Named Desire. It was so miserable, and that's what I associate with that film every time uh, I see it. So did you get lucky? It's okay, you don't have to answer that. She looked at my bed and said, you must not have many ladies around here. The single, uh, it's called the twin, where it's just that one bed oh, yeah, for yeah, one yeah. person. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, my other memory of my screening of Streetcar Named Desire was that, like, I'd seen The Godfather, and I think I might have seen Last Tango in Paris before, but I had never quite registered how good Brando was. And there was something about his, just his presence in that movie. It, he's He has such an, such overwhelming charisma uh, I was just kind of blown away by him. I mean, first of all, he's a physically beautiful man mm-hmm. at that stage in his life. Uh, Who, when he played uh, the role of Streetcar Named Desire, he was way too young for that role. Yeah. And that's what the director thought, but they brought him in anyway. And whoo, is he good? He, he really owns it. Uh, I, I mean, when he, he was the pioneer uh, or he was the first actor to become really associated with the method, mm-hmm. which, in case you've been living under a rock and you don't know, is uh, the method developed by Stanislavski and uh, Brando's own teacher, Stella Adler, where uh, instead, of, instead of technically acting the part, you would bring your own emotions to it and try to basically try to cut out the middleman, try to try to live the part 
through your own emotions and bring your own past experiences to it. Make it more real than, you know, doing what actors are supposed to do and act. Well, you, yeah, you've probably heard that famous story about Lawrence Olivier and Dustin Hoffman on the set of Marathon Man, where uh, Dustin Hoffman had been up for some like 48 hours trying to get in character for the role. And Lawrence Olivier says to him, why don't you try acting, my boy? <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, even though it's allegedly a, a naturalistic performance, I don't... I think of Brando's performance in Streetcar Named Desire as actually being very stylized. I mm-hmm. mean, it's such an overwhelming... He's such an overwhelming presence, and he's in such contrast to everybody else in the movie. Like, uh, it's Vivian Lee, right? Yeah. As Blanche Dubois. She's so kind of over the top and hammy in that role, and he's so mumbly method uh, that I, I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily... Like, he's very stylized. Yeah, well, I mean, like, his style of performance, uh, the word naturalistic is not something I would associate with Brando. All his biggest performances are very defined. Yeah. There are movies where I would say he is a little more naturalistic. Like, I've seen half of The Fugitive Kind by mm-hmm. Sidney Lumet. Or uh, even On the Waterfront, he's a little more naturalistic in that. But he's still so big. Well, the thing is, he's such an incredibly charismatic man. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, something about his presence is so overwhelming that he can't really disappear into a part. The Godfather is kind of an amazing performance because he is the least naturalistic person in that movie. His performance in that movie is so stylized compared to, you know, Al Pacino. Mm -hmm. But somehow it works. Yeah, I mean, like, and it's weird that for most of his career, he kind of fought that charisma he tried to tamper it as much as possible because like if you look at brando's career what you see is a man not wanting to be an actor really well i mean he was sort of famously self-loathing and he uh he famously didn't think what he did was art even when he saw on the waterfront he was so embarrassed by that performance that he's like no one's ever gonna want to see this movie Mm -hmm. uh did you ever read the playboy interview with marlon brando it's really incredible it's maybe my favorite interview like q a style interview that i've ever read uh lawrence grabel went to uh marlon brando's tahitian island uh to interview him and brando originally said that i i'm only going to talk about uh, Native American issues mm-hmm. because that was something he was so passionate. You're not going to talk about acting, and so it's uh, the interview becomes this long, uh, almost like game between the two of them, where Grabel keeps trying to get him to talk about acting, and uh, Brando keeps shooing him away and not ta- not talking about trying to bring it back to his issues. It's interesting because he flatly refuses to accept that not only he but anyone in the film industry has ever done anything that's art. Wow. He says that... He's he, real Roger Ebert with video games. I mean, yeah. He talks about art. That's Beethoven. That's the great Gothic cathedrals. That's Picasso. Uh, you know in your heart of hearts that w- what we do isn't art. That's insane. Yeah, it is. I, I mean... Uh, it, Brando's biography, which you may have seen in the recent film, Listen to Me, Marlon, famously, uh, he came from a family where his father didn't love him and his, his mother was sort of distant and they were both alcoholics. And so. his father, even like to the end of his life, didn't believe that Brando had done much that was worthwhile. Yeah. So to, to do a little like armchair psychotherapy there, clearly he didn't get a lot of love as a kid <laughs> and, nope. and therefore probably kept punishing himself. I mean, he, he's talked about how uh as an eater you know he would he would use food he would like he was binge an emo- eat. yeah he was an emotional eater yeah. and 
as we can see, he definitely did a lot of emotional eating. Well, he said that at one point in his career, what he would do is that when he would get depressed, usually after a film, he would eat a lot and then lose all the weight for the next film. Yeah. But at a certain point, you're at an age that you just cannot do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think it kind of caught up with him in that sense. It is interesting, though, as you indicated earlier, uh, even though he is uh, arguably the best actor in film history, mm -hmm. or at least the most important actor in if film history. If you ask someone, like, name me a good actor, I think Marlon Brando would be at the tip of everybody's Yeah, lips. probably. The legend, though, is founded on relatively few films. Yep. That's... Uh, you, Yeah, you think Streetcar Named Desire, On the Waterfront. I, I mean, you're not going to say The Man. No. Or, or Young Lions. Or Ju Julius Caesar. So you name those two movies. You would, Then you'd say The Godfather, Last Tango in Paris. Like, those, those are the four movies, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some... Apocalypse Now, if someone wants to be like a... Yeah. But the thing is... He's not the best thing in it. Yeah, and when the movie came out, he was considered the worst thing in it. Yeah. So it's weird that with such a small pocket of movies that he's so well known. I mean, let's talk about Last Tango in Paris. Yeah. Which arguably is his last hurrah, even though it came out before. Well, uh, in his autobiography, he states that it was after that movie that he decided to no longer commit and no longer do the method the way that he used to yeah, because he just found it too draining yeah like he felt like he put too much of himself out there and um i mean do you agree that it's like that in uh, last tango in paris what do you think of the movie i think it's a very good movie mm -hmm. i think it's you know this movie lives in the shadow of pauline kale's review of it mm -hmm. where she saw it at the new york film festival and said that it, it would it was an artistic event on par with the unveiling of stravinsky's the rite of spring <laughs> <laughs> and that it would go down in history as such. Yeah. I think with the benefit of 40 or 50 years hindsight, we can see that didn't happen. I mean, Last Tango in Paris is still very well known. Like, if you talk about... Like, oh, certainly. And it was a huge hit when it came out, wasn't it? It was one of the top 10 movies that year, and which was, is unthinkable now. It was rated NC-17 as well. Or X at the yeah, time. X. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it is a very good movie, though. I think I think it's flawed. Mm. I think the so the what's the movie about? Um, should we spoil it because it's reveal? I guess it's not that big of a spoiler. Let's just say kind of what the plot is. We so, don't have to say what happens at the very end. Someone pointed out that every time that I say, "Oh, there's a spoiler," what we're talking about. The thing is, we're talking about Last Tango in Paris. Like you've had forty five years to see this movie. But what this uh, important <laughs> cinema club listener told me was. I'm not going to watch any of the movies you're talking about. So <laughs> feel free to just summarize to your heart's content. Oh, that's sad. I want people to, <laughs> I want people to discover Marlon Brando. So Brando plays a recent widower who, when he visits an apartment, meets a young girl played by Maria Schneider. <laughs> Let Maria Schneider. Let's go with that. Okay. <laughs> Will had such doubt on his face. It could and, be anyone. <laughs> and so they have passionate anonymous sex. Yeah. And Very spontaneous yes. sex. And then the movie kind of unfurls from there. So they try to experiment with the idea of having a relationship that is only sex and that they don't even know each other's name. Brando, of course, is coming off uh, a marriage where his wife killed herself. So he has seen the potential pitfalls of a relationship where you're emotionally invested in it. Maria Schneider uh, is engaged to an artist uh, named Jean-Pierre Liaud. Yes, uh, the actor. The actor who was, is, who, is from Four Hundred Blows and many other films. Has Jean Pierre Liu ever not played a huge dick or like a doofus? Well, the problem is Jean Pierre Liu, like I detest him as a screen. <laughs> oh, okay, listen, I'm going so I'm going too far here. 
I know that Jean-Pierre Lyot is a legend and he's been in many great movies. He's so unlikable in every I, movie I that he's I really been. dislike his face and his hair. <laughs> like, something about him just makes my skin crawl. What about old Jean-Pierre Lyot? Like in... Oh, yeah. Yes. Him especially. <laughs> I like Jean-Pierre Leo as a 12-year-old in 400 Blows. Yeah. Everything else I've seen him in. The, the, uh, the only other movie I've liked him in was, I think, La Chinoise, where he is actually supposed to be a piece of shit. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, but in movies like Day for Night, he just plays the Ugh. gang lead. <laughs> All right, Makes moving on. Crawl. He's a filmmaker who's making a film about the young woman's life. And I feel like those scenes are the biggest weakness of the film. They're so pretentious. And also, I mean, it distracts from what the main thrust of the plot is and his Jean-Pierre Leo's character is such a kind of such a doofus in a way that I don't think is that I really buy well you but you don't think that um Bertolucci who directed the film is saying that he's just a big loser like that's what it feels oh like. I mean he I think he is saying that but it, I don't know there's something about him when, whenever that character is on it just feels like a distraction from the main event this is the question I asked two episodes get ago and I'll ask again did you find this movie sexy no, I did not. No, you did not? No. Marlon Brando greasing himself up. I mean, she's kind of good looking. I mm-hmm. don't know. Uh, but ugh, I hate to... I sound like such a fucking bore talking <laughs> like that. <laughs> you asked, though. I uh, did ask. No, the the butter scene, though, which you all know. Mm-hmm. Uh, no need to say what it is. Everyone knows what the butter scene is. Did you? People kn- are typing right now, butter scene on the internet, <laughs> okay, trying the, to figure out what it is. Find out. Did you know that she did not actually know that he was going to do that? No, that, I did not know that, that was an improvisation. I found that out on the You Must Remember This podcast. Huh. Uh, and she felt kind of violated by that. As one would. As one would. So, yeah, th- that's that's a, a little upsetting to hear. And, of course, that scene would go on to kind of dominate her life. You know, she. I, I, heard, I read a quote from her where she said, like, yeah, for years afterwards, I would go to a restaurant whenever anyone would give me butter. They would give me a weird look. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, I mean, if you look at her filmography, she'd been in like 143 films or something like that mm. compared to Brando's 43. So and this is one of her earliest roles. Sure. thing that's best about the movie is Marlon Brando's performance. Would mm-hmm. you agree? Yes, I agree. Uh, I And I mean, it really does feel like it, I'd put in that pantheon of performances like Harvey Keitel and Bad Lieutenant uh, where it's or Jim Carrey in the shower scene of Ace Ventura, <laughs> where it's like an out, an actor just laying it out there on a slab. <laughs> So just like, it's kind of a naked performance. It feels like an exorcism. I mean, Stella Adler, in fact, said that an actor should go on stage naked. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is a funny thing to say because Brando was supposed to appear naked in the film and was too self-conscious and you just couldn't do it. Yeah, he said that uh, he was going to do a full frontal nude scene, but it was so cold in the room where they shot that his penis shrunk to the size of a walnut. (laughs) That, those are his words. Yep. Uh, you know, likely story, but <laughs> sure, okay. But whatever. As he indicated by the fact that he never did full method again after this, many of the scenes of his dialogue where he's talking about his past are drawn from his own life. And I mean, Marlon Brando had a really. We haven't really talked about him as a person and like how he was from day to day. If you read about Marlon Brando, you read that he was a jerk, that he didn't care, that like you said, he had eighteen children. <laughs> But, like, there was a lot of tragedy in his life, too. Well, yeah, his, uh, in the 90s, one of his kids murdered somebody. Uh, yeah, a lot, lot of... Uh, and then um, the one of his kids also committed suicide yeah, related terrible. to that murder. I, and Brando, as became extremely famous in the 60s, sometime after On the Waterfront, he started to think that 
acting was not important and that he should devote his life to something more worthwhile. So he became very involved with the Black Panthers, the civil rights movement, the uh, Native Americans. We, of course, are all familiar with the story that when he won the Oscar for The Godfather, Sasheen Littlefeather came on stage, rejected the Oscar, Mm -hmm. and uh, condemned Hollywood for its terrible treatment of aboriginals. Which is great for him. Like, that's awesome that he did all these causes, even though he may have been like. It's nice that he did all those causes, but I don't know. I think even he would have admitted towards the end of his life how much good did he actually do. Mm. I I mean, the Sasheen Littlefeather thing was so widely condemned and mocked and scorned that it probably didn't really help their cause very much. Do you think it made it more of a joke than actually helping in any way, shape or form? Uh, I mean, not having lived through the time that he did it, probably. I think he it probably came a bit of a punchline that, oh yeah, there's Brando and the Indians, you know? So if you had to pick one Brando performance, you'd probably go to Last Tango in Paris? Well, that or, you know, Streetcar Named Desire. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of his other performances. Are there, are there any other performances you give him that you like? Well, in Frank Oz is the score. <laughs> <laughs> that was the movie where he would not even let Frank Oz on the set with him. Yep. That, I think, was his last feature film. Yeah, I believe so. He's he's fine in that movie, I guess. There are some, uh, He was pretty good in Reflections of a Golden Eye. Uh, an interesting film from his fallow period in the 60s when he was in one flop after another supposedly made to make up for the box office damage that uh, One-Eyed Jacks did to his mm-hmm. career. And another interesting film is uh, A Countess from Hong Kong. from mm. Charlie th- Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin's last film. And, you know, Brando did a lot of bad movies in the 60s, but you can understand why he might have been attracted to some of them. Charlie Chaplin comes to you and says, hey, you're going to star in my last film before I die. I don't uh, think Charlie Chaplin put it that way. <laughs> Maybe he did. Didn't I read a rumor that he like he tricked Brando into being in the film? I don't. I don't know if I've heard that. I think Brando regarded Chaplin very highly. Uh, he regarded him as one of the great talents ever in film. The interesting thing about Chaplin as a director was his style of directing was he would tell his actors exactly what to do and act it out for them, and they were expected to mimic it exactly. So Chaplin was now in his 80s doing this with Sophia Loren and Marlon Brando, telling Marlon Brando, greatest actor in the world, exactly how to do his performance. So if you see A Countess from Hong Kong, it's a little bit lifeless. It's weird that uh, Brando in the 70s when New Hollywood was coming up, he never really fell into that crowd. I mean... Except for The Godfather, it, I guess. But I, it, yeah, I guess it's kind of New Hollywood. I was thinking even he would have taken jobs that were even lower budget, but he never did that. He just needed money. Well, and after Last Tango in Paris, he frankly didn't work that much. Uh, he did. It was four years after Last Tango in Paris until he did The Missouri Breaks. Then he did Superman. And because of his percentage on Superman, he made something like $14 million. So someone he didn't have to work for 10 years. Someone messaged me online and said, I disagree with you about you ragging on Brando and Superman. Okay, well, listen, I have two eyes and I saw <laughs> Superman two weeks ago. And he's bad in it. <laughs> so I don't know how you can possibly rationalize his performance in that Maybe film. Maybe nostalgia? Like... Ugh. I mean, the, the thing about Brandon was even when he's bad, there is a certain baseline charisma. And he has uh, a certain amount of screen presence. There's a quote from his autobiography I, that I liked about his approach to his acting where he says, and I quote, The close-up says everything. No, I'm not going to ask this. The close-up says everything. It's then that an actor's learned, rehearsed behavior becomes most obvious to an audience and chips away unconsciously at its, at its experience of reality. 
The close-up reveals your thoughts and feelings by the expression on your face, whether it's the raising of an eyebrow, chasing a piece of food around your mouth with a tongue, or making a tiny, fleeting statement by frowning. In a close-up, the audience is only inches away, and your face becomes the stage. Now, in all of Brando's, I think Brando is... in many of his movies, just a great minimalist actor. Just mm. the slightest movement of his face has an enormous uh, amount of impact. Yeah, I mean, it's so weird. Like, do you feel like Brando could have done more? It would have been nice to have a few more good movies. Yeah, I mean... Like, I mean, you know, Don Juan DeMarco's fine, but... <laughs> or The Island of Dr. Monroe. Oh, yeah, The Island of... Do- you know what? I love him in that movie. <laughs> uh, I, if, if people haven't seen it, you should definitely check out the movie uh, The Island of Lost Souls. Oh, no, it's called Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's The Island of Dr. Monroe. And you would think it would be about Richard Stanley, the director who got fired from And uh, it is Moreau. for a while, but he got fired after two days. And so, so it becomes about mostly Marlon Brando. And apparently Marlon Brando took this movie... Because, you know, one of his kids killed someone. They uh, he needed some money so <laughs> to pay for these trials. So he comes on the set and basically he just decided to fuck around. Uh, he he didn't even read the script. There's a famous scene from the Island of Doctor Moreau where he puts an ice bucket on his head for no reason, and apparently that just came about because he was like, "Watch this! I'll put an ice bucket on my head. No one will even stop me because I'm Marlon Brando." <laughs> I mean, like from 1989 to his death, he only starred in like a handful of fr- films, which include uh, The Freshman. <laughs> the- yeah, The Freshman or uh, Easy Money, his comedy with. Charlie Sheen. How did that happen? Directed by a Quebec director. I think he actually even produced that one. That was a full-on Brando <laughs> joint. And let us not forget The Brave. Oh yeah, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp film. I haven't seen it. And of course, You Rock My World. <laughs> you, and that's, you know, if a career has to end at some point, I think it should end with Michael Jackson. <laughs> so what are we talking about next week? Uh, next week, I think we're talking about John Carpenter. Yes, we are. Do we, are we going to have anything to say about John Carpenter? We'll figure something out. <laughs> We're going to be watching They Live. I think so. And Halloween. And ho- yeah. yeah, I guess. Yeah, all right. <laughs> this is subject to change. Yeah, so, you know, just watch all of John Carpenter's filmography. Yeah. I mean, I think we should start every episode with, like, this person's name, overrated. <laughs> just to see if we can get people to be like... One of our friends says that he only listens to 15 minutes of the podcast every week because he disagrees with us so much that he just turns it off angrily. Well, it's because he listens to us and he and he's used to being able to chime in and have his opinion, and but he can't. Oh, but you can by emailing us <laughs> at importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, man, it would be fun to have letters to read. Would... Not you, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my name is Justin DeClue. My name is Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. You rock my world. <laughs> Will, what did you think of Batman versus Superman? I didn't like it. But I want you to know, when this podcast comes out, uh, most people will have seen the movie. But I saw it two days early. Okay, does that make you special? Yes, it does. It makes me a better person than the <laughs> plebes who listen to this podcast. Um, did you get some special... Uh... Oh, I did. You, you're leading me on because you know <laughs> yeah. what I'm going to say. I got a free Batman Superman umbrella with their logos on it. I got popcorn and I got to go to a bar afterwards and get free drinks all on Warner's tab. Did that make the movie better? Uh, well, yes, actually it did. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Would it be better if you would have drank before the film started? I probably would have got a few more chuckles, but it, I think I would have had a harder time following the labyrinthine <laughs> plot of the film with all these characters and all these moving parts. Okay, so out of 10 stars... 
uh four i want to say <laughs> yeah i mean it is a technically competent film i shouldn't even be telling you this because when we saw the movie we got a uh, we, we got a pre-recorded video message from Zack Snyder the where uh, he flailed his tattooed arms about <laughs> and, and and told us not to reveal anything about the movie so that, you know. How uh, exhausted and, like, weathered does Zack Snyder look? Uh, I mean, he looks like Zack Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know on his arms he has tattooed all the name of his children? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that maybe is what we saw. Anyway, he, is, he has an eminently punchable face. Yeah. <laughs>